Sunday service. My name is Ananta. This is Maria. We're very glad you could join us. We have visitors from the Expanding Light Weekend program. We have the Living with Spirit group and uh, many others on the internet. I'm reminded of early Sunday services at Ananda Village when a small group of dedicated truth seekers gathered. So we're very honored and blessed to have you here today. The topic today is self-interest, too, is needed. This is from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. These past weeks, we discussed the need for balancing self-effort with receptivity to divine grace. Both are important in the spiritual life. Passive dependence on grace hasn't the magnetism to attract grace. Boastful self-confidence, however, which closes itself off from the higher divine power, is shallow, brittle, and, given life's many uncertainties, susceptible to ultimate failure. There is a story in the Bible that illustrates the need to put forth personal effort so as to draw magnetically on the divine power. The story occurs in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 8. But as he went, the crowds nearly suffocated him. Among them was a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and who had derived no benefit from anybody's treatment. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. As a result, Her hemorrhage stopped immediately. Who was it that touched me? Jesus asked. When everybody denied it, Peter remonstrated, Master, the crowds are all around, pressing you on every side. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I felt power going out from me. When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward trembling and fell at his feet and admitted before everyone why she had touched him adding that she had been instantaneously cured. Daughter, Jesus said, it is by your faith that you have been healed. Go in peace. Self-confidence and self-effort are necessary, as the ignition of a car is necessary to the motor. Of what use the ignition, however, if the motor itself will not work? Wise is he who recognizes the real power in the universe and guides his life by that supreme power. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, the ninth chapter, To those who meditate on me as their very own, ever united to me by incessant worship, I make good their deficiencies and render permanent their gains. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. 
I'd like to read first from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is from a section entitled Prayers of Devotion. I bring to thee the myrrh of devotion. With folded hands, bowed head, and heart laden with the myrrh of reverence, I come to thee. Thou art my parents. I am thy child. Thou art the master. I am ready to obey the silent command of thy voice. I conjured the fragrant devotion of all hearts and mixed it with my tears. Now I am eager to wash thy feet in silence, a river of my ardent crystal tears of craving rushes forth to meet thee. Wilt thou see that my boisterous flood of devotion be not lost in the desert of disappointment? Wilt thou see that my mad flood of devotion follow always the right course which leads to thee? I want to echo what Ananta said. Just a great blessing to have you all here and... Thank you for bringing your energy and the divine presence within you to this day and this morning. <clears throat> I had a very interesting dream a couple weeks ago and <clears throat> seemed relevant in, uh, to this subject. The subject is self-effort too is needed. And in this dream, I was sitting on the earth, the ground. I think it was maybe a village or something like that. There weren't many people around, just a handful kind of over on this side and they were people I knew people who were very dear to me who uh, have inspired me continue to inspire me but it was very interesting I was sitting there and they weren't responding to me they weren't relating to me I was as though in some kind of other world on some level I don't think I was quite well and their image of me, their experience of me, their knowledge of me was something much higher. So it wasn't that they were really ignoring me. It's just they weren't going to come to my level. And so I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, within myself, I said, I have got to wake up. I have got to wake up. It wasn't so much, uh, well, there was some desperation in it, but it was just this powerful affirmation, I have got to wake up. And in that moment, this frame sort of pictured came in front of me, and it was blurry, just light and shadows and swirls, nothing detectable, nothing I could see. But as I kept saying, I have got to wake up, <clears throat> the images started to clarify. And one by one, each of the masters appeared and then very sacred, holy places. I remember recognizing Jerusalem. I've never been there, but I've certainly seen pictures. 
started to come and I began to recognize them, the masters and these holy places. And then that was pretty much the end of the dream. I mean, I was well, whatever needed to have, whatever needed to have happen, happened. But <clears throat> it was very, uh, it seemed very appropriate to this topic today because it is about the need for self-effort, the need for engaging the will, our will to meet that divine response. Swamiji talks about the need for self-effort to magnetically draw the divine experience, the divine response. And that's what I felt in this affirmation. Master puts it this way. He says, 25% our effort 25% the effort of the guru on our behalf, and 50% the grace of God. Now, we can hear this and we can think, well, 25% and 50%, that's 75%. That's pretty great. If I just sit here and wait, something is bound to happen. (laughs) But it doesn't work that way. Nothing will happen. Nothing. Because that 25% has to be the fullness of our effort, putting everything we possibly can behind what we are doing, behind what we are feeling, to make it magnetic and draw that response. It's going to take everything that we have. There's a story that Swamiji tells in his autobiography, The Path. And it's about a disciple, Devi Mukherjee, And Devi comes to Master. One day he's with Yogananda, and he says to Yogananda, give me the grace of devotion. Now, Devi is a disciple. He's certainly sincere. He feels a certain longing for God. So this is a real request. Any of us might make the same if we had the chance. And he says, give me the grace of devotion. And Yogananda says to him, it's like you are asking for money so that you can do what you want. No. No, I say first, earn it. Then I will give you the money and you can do with it as you will. So again, the master reminding the devotee, reminding the disciple at whatever stage we are on the path, We have got to focus our energy. We have to increase our energy. We need to put forth effort to draw that magnetism. God will do the greater part. Guru will do the greater part. But we have to be present. We have to be awake. We have to be putting the effort and energy behind what we're doing. Some of you won't know, but uh, perhaps haven't known us long enough, but Uh, Ananta and I were asked by Swamiji uh, in 1986 to serve Master's work in Sacramento. And we were there for uh, 23 years, almost to the day. It was the the same month. And uh, toward the end of our opportunity there, maybe in the last five or six years, we as a spiritual family, as a congregation, were feeling that we really needed to finally have our own place of worship, to own our own temple, you know, and not have other things going on, people in coming and going, leases running in and out, this kind of thing. And so we started to put our mind to it. 
And we'd already had, by this time, a long-established residential community in an urban area there in Rancho Cordova. We'd been there already close to almost 15 years by that time. And so we started to look for a temple, and we decided, well, let's just look here close by first because of the convenience, the natural convenience, where people live, where the energy and those who are going to serve this temple and and help it be what it can be, live. And uh, where the community is located, there's all manner of churches representing every faith up and down that street. And there was also a mortuary, East Long Mortuary, which is a huge corporation in Sacramento. And this was just the hall. It wasn't grounds, cemetery grounds, anything like that. But they used it there locally. And so we thought, well, I wonder if that building, if they might consider selling that building. And so we asked them, and they said, no. You know, they, they used it. They had huge buildings and, and land all over the Sacramento area. And we thought, well, let's, let's just see if, if Yogananda wants this to happen because we felt a little bit of energy behind it. So one of our yoga students, her mother, passed away about that time. And she said, I can hold the memorial service there. And we can go in there as Ananda. You can all come. You're all my friends. And we can just see what it looks like and what it feels like. And so she set up the event. She made all the plans. Most of the people there were, uh, were her family and extended relatives. We didn't want to be too obvious. But a number of us did. You know, Maybe about 10 of us or so did go there. We had our choir come. She invited. She wanted her choir to be a part of the memorial service. She read from Whispers uh, by Yogananda, so we got Master in there, his words. We got Swami's music in there, Master's music in there. And she even addressed Ananda. She shared about Ananda with her family because Ananda uh, was such a great strength to her at that time. And when we got to go up and sing, we were up in the very front looking out into the room, and it was just all so perfect. And we all felt very at home there, even though, I mean, there were coffins in the other room. There were all manner of, you know, things around there. Death with the ego. <laughs> and we just, we felt at home. We just felt at home there. So some time went by after that event, and we asked again the director, you know, would you consider selling this place to us? And he said, no, you know, they, the organization doesn't want to sell. So we thought, well... Let's see if they would rent it to us for our events, Ananda events. And so we uh, looked at the calendar. We had upcoming uh, oratorio, which is the it's music um, expressing the story and the teachings and the episodes from Christ's life. And so they said, yes, we could do that there. And, you know, we just paid a nominal fee. It wasn't much at all. We had the whole place. And that means when we do the oratorio conference uh, uh, concert, we have 50, 60, 70 people there, plus all of the Ananda people who come to listen to it. So it was packed, and this time with all Ananda vibration. And it was very, very powerful. And we invited one of the board. Uh, he wasn't able to come, but the, uh, the director of the facility was able to come. And he loved the music. He was a... Uh, baritone like Swamiji and he just he was thrilled 
by the music. He was so happy, and he said afterwards, this feels so great. There is so much light in this place. We should do this every day. And one of our members was standing right there, Laura, and she said, well, we're trying to do just that. And uh, he just, he loved it. And we waited some time. We asked again, you know, is this property for sale? Might it be for sale? Could you ask the board if they're interested in selling it? It it didn't seem like there was a lot of business there. And uh, the answer still came back, no. So time went by. You know, a couple years went by in this manner. And Swamiji was coming to Sacramento, and he was going to give a satsang. So we asked Islan again, can we rent the facility? And they said, yes, you're welcome to it. And they were so nice. They opened it, you know, early in the day. They let us come in and set up, and they brought someone over afterwards to help clean and close it up, and just very accommodating. So this time we had Swamiji, and we had all our Ananda family in the choir and so much beautiful energy. And as Swamiji left that evening, Just about as he went out the door, he said, this place feels like ours. But it still took some time after that. And then one day Ananta called and said, you know, might you consider selling this? And they said, yes, what will you offer? And that's a whole other miracle in itself, which I won't go into now. But it was it was a very long stream of effort after effort after effort after effort, but it it was a blessing because it's what it took for us as a congregation to really cultivate and deepen and focus our magnetism, not just as one or two or five people who were interested in making this happen, but you know many many of the devotees there helping to bring this about. And there's a couple very interesting aspects about this topic that I want to talk about. I've talked some about just the need of effort on, you know, all manner in all manner of activity. But I want to just address what is so obviously cited in this passage. And, you know, here is this woman, this lone individual amongst hundreds, maybe there were thousands, you know, we're told a crowd, many, many people, And what made her effort so singular, you know, so powerful? Jesus said, your faith, your receptivity. And it's a, it's really a coming to a oneness with the consciousness of that, of um, the consciousness from which we are trying to draw that response, whatever it is, in this case, healing. There's a beautiful little booklet. I don't know if it's any longer in print, Secrets of Meditation. But in there, Swamiji, one of the secrets, there's one for every day of the month. And he says, the secret of meditation is to pray, not as an outsider to heaven, but as someone whose true eternal home is heaven. In other words, our effort at that point is the consciousness that we bring to anything, any activity, anything we're doing, our sadhana, our spiritual practice. We bring that energy of devotion. Devi Mukherjee, Master was asking him to bring forth that devotion within himself, to, for us to bring forth the effort, the energy of making this project happen, not just depending exclusively on God. It's all God, and God will do it. But 
we have to magnetize that response. We have to magnetize the answer to our prayer. And so here was this, this woman in this huge crowd, the receptivity, the faith, the attunement of consciousness. There is a wonderful story in the life of uh, Sister Gyanamata, Yogananda's foremost woman disciple, was how he described her. And uh, toward the latter part of, actually probably around the middle of her life, because, well, Yogananda kept extending her life. It was a pact he made with Divine Mother. But it was the time that her husband was to leave this world. He knew that on some level within himself. He wasn't ill. He had no signs of of not being well. But he brought Yanamata to Mount Washington, to the Hermitage. And he said, Master, here, it's time for her to live here. She's felt more at home here than anywhere else. And Master said of him, he was a very high soul, and he was giving her to Yogananda. And Yogananda said, yes, she has been in this vibration for a long time time. You know, not the physical vibration of those surroundings, but the vibration of consciousness. She was so attuned to that consciousness, so trusting of that consciousness, so at one with that consciousness that it just made things happen. It made her life happen. It made miracles happen. She was stayed in her body for many, many years past the time that she would have otherwise, Yogananda said. This past week, well, a week ago yesterday, we as a community experienced the passing of a very dear longtime member of Ananda, Garrett, to whom Swamiji gave the name Arjuna in the last weeks of his life because of his warrior-like energy and just the, the um, way that he met this particular trial. He was suffering from a tumor on the brain for a little over a year. And I shared this at the memorial last week, but not all of you were here, and it wasn't online. And it's a very powerful, powerful teaching for us. Toward the end of his life, he was unable to walk, and he needed to get that kind of exercise. So a number of men in the community would come over and walk with him just a little bit in the morning, a short walk. And by this time, he was, although he could follow your conversations still, oftentimes, he couldn't get his response out through the mouth in the right order. It was just disjoint words, words that weren't even relevant to the topic. It never bothered him. It never really did. It was just like, oh, this is happening now, great, <laughs> you know. But it was, he was just watching it. He was just watching it happen, and he would keep trying to speak, and sometimes it would come out right, and most times it didn't. But Vic and Melody were sharing with us. Uh, Vic works with hospice, and he would walk with Garrett. And one time when he was out walking, Garrett was just trying to talk. He never stopped trying to be able to speak. Great philosopher, really. And... He would just try to say something, but nothing would come out right. And then all of a sudden, he said, Garrett has a deep love for God. And then he just kept repeating those words. And Melody and Vic explained it to me. They work with people in this kind of a situation oftentimes, and they've seen it. And it's, you know, this disjoint happens. And the mind, what it does is it goes to what is familiar 
what is automatic. It's not necessarily a conscious choice, what is said at that point. It just goes to what it owns, you know, what it is. And so this is what came forth, just who Garrett really is, who Arjuna really is. Garrett has a deep love for God. It was just the unifying thread in his whole life. And when everything else was stripped, that's what remains. And that's where effort takes us. The effort of sadhana, the effort of satsang, these are so important because they put us in proximity to an elevated vibration of consciousness. And we need to keep practicing being there. You know, I have got to awake. I've got to wake up. I've got to keep trying to be on that highest plane of consciousness. Because when we live there, that's, I mean, that's what our soul knows. That's who our soul is. And that's what manifests. You know, what does it matter if the body, we have the body or we're going to lose the body? This is another real important aspect of this reading. You know, this woman was healed. And that's also because that was her particular karma. Maybe it was because through her, Jesus was trying to really show and give a teaching. But it could have easily been otherwise. Oftentimes it's otherwise. You know, if someone is going to leave this body, does that mean they don't have deep faith? Does that mean that they're not receptive? Does that mean they haven't put out enough energy or the right effort? Not at all. There's all manner of responses that God could give to us in a moment like that. You know, we're about to lose the body, but maybe Divine Mother is taking from us an attachment to the body. Maybe Divine Mother is taking from us an attachment to circumstance, to a person. You know, maybe uh, Divine Mother is taking from us a lack of forgiveness for something or someone that we've been carrying our whole life. So it could be anything. And for us to define it as life or death, being or not being, it's just not that black and white. And so also don't let this story mislead you. Yes, your depth is deep. Yes, your faith is strong. Yes, your receptivity is great. But it's the receptivity to the divine will. That's what we're really after. The divine will. And that can be anything. It has nothing to do with having a long life, a short life, a healthy life, a sick life in and of itself. It's just that God, because we have asked him to free us, is freeing us. And so it's self-effort plus receptivity to the divine will. And that's the liberating formula. Many lives I've drunk the cup of laughter. No man could tell the pleasures I have known. The stars in the endless sky, if one could count, would come to billions. As vast 
as are the numbers. So many years I've wandered far from you. Through many lives I've drunk the cup of sorrow. No man could tell the bitter tears I've shed. The drops in the endless sea, if one could count, would come to billions. Yet as vast are the number so many years I've wandered far from you through countless lives I've sought your cup of sweetness found other cups yet thirsted Streams in the hills of time all found their way into a desert. Every noon of bright fulfillment, here many hours did sing. To evening gloom, I long for you in summer and in winter, only for you my heart thirsts day and night. I've learned that the sweetest songs is ever heard were but your echo. Lord, at last fill me completely for never more I'd wander far Complete.